the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. A life of influence isn't achieved overnight. It is built through the consistent application of wisdom and hard work. Dr. Derek Greer's brand new book, 120 Minutes to Live Big, provides you with 120 bite-sized nuggets of insight on practical topics such as marriage and finances, as well as wisdom for personal growth and leadership development. It will ask you penetrating questions to help you reflect and apply what you've learned. This book will stimulate self-examination and provide fuel for personal transformation. The best thing about it, Dr. Greer is offering this book to you absolutely free. That's right, a free copy of 120 Minutes to Live Big, mailed to you as a gift. However, that's not all. You will also get 30 days access to Dr. Greer's Growth Lab, a program designed to help you grow from good to great, from mediocre to extraordinary. It's our prayer that this gift leaves you with a burning desire to be better and become everything God wants you to be. So, if you want to live a life that overflows and blesses others, this gift is for you. Claim your free book and get free 30-day access to Dr. Greer's Growth Lab. Simply visit dgmfree.com. We are excited to announce the Live Big television broadcast is back on BET on Sundays at 7 a.m. There are a few other changes, so visit DerekGreer.com to view the full broadcast schedule and much more. Welcome to Live Big with Dr. Derek Greer. We're glad you decided to join us today. Remember, you can get access to this message and a full library of teaching from Dr. Greer at gracechurchva.org. As we dive deep into the Word of God, we believe that it changes us and empowers us to think big, do big, and live big. This type of living will not only impact our lives, but will inevitably bless others. So our hope is that this broadcast inspires you to live big. Here's Dr. Greer. This series, uh, we, we have this acronym that we're going to use. And already, actually, you might not have noticed that ne- last week we already started uh, for this uh, the word doctrine. So uh, number one, D stands for the deity of Christ. Two, original sin. The O stands for O is original sin. And that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today. C, the canon of scripture. T, the trinity. R, resurrection. I, incarnation. N, new creation. And E, eternal reward. So last week we talked uh, quite a bit about the deity of Jesus Christ. We also talked somewhat about the incarnation. And we even talked about the triunity of God. So we covered uh, several letters uh, in last week's uh, study. But today we're going to really, really focus uh, on the O 
And uh, we're going to begin by reading the Psalms. We're going to go to Psalms 51. So if you would open your Bibles to that place, uh, we're going to dig in. And uh, I'm not going to be able to get through the whole Psalm today. But uh, let me ask this question. Has anyone in here ever messed up? Okay, I put both hands and my foot out, okay? (laughs) So this morning's message is for you and me. The wonderful people may not get it. But you and I, we will understand today's message. Verse 1, David is speaking by the Holy Spirit. He said, have mercy upon me. David was in his 40s around this time, and this can be a challenging time in a man's identity. And it seemed to be the same case, this midlife type of thing, crisis, if you will. Uh, in the life of David. He had uh, risen from a shepherd king to become king of all of Israel. This was a remarkable, remarkable thing that he accomplished. But then suddenly the unthinkable happened. And the backdrop to this event was despite the fact that, if you know, we're reading through the Bible, so we're noticing things perhaps we've not noticed before. But despite the fact that he had a a growing harem at this point, he had several wives, he had concubines, beautiful women. In spite of that, he committed adultery at Bathsheba, and then he went on to to murder her husband, Uriah. Now, I think it's it's one thing to steal because you're hungry. How many can kind of sympathize with a person that steals when they're hungry? Yeah, 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 you're quiet like the first service. It's going to be like that. Okay. But to already have several wives and still have to have another is downright greedy. And that's what I've learned about about men in particular, and sometimes it's true with women. But, you know, men that, women that that have been hurt and their their husbands, you know, betrayed the vows and like, but what what, what was wrong with me? You know, what what was I not giving you? But, you know, sometimes the issue is not you. It's just the fact we're greedy. So you're giving us whatever you're giving, but still we want more. We want more. We want more. And this is what happened in the life of David. And because of this event, He's on his knees. Nathan had confronted him. And actually, he's, he's uh, committed some of the highest level of hypocrisy because here we have a man that was a prophet, which today would be like being a pastor. Uh, and he was a king. And he did these things, but he continued in his public role as prophet or pastor, king and the rest. And he he didn't have any uh, shift until Nathan showed up the prophet in his life and pointed the finger at him. So so David he's he's in a he's in a a really really difficult real 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 tough time in his life. And finally he says, "Have mercy on me, O God." Now has anyone in this room ever had an "O God" moment? What was I thinking? You know what was going on in my head? Well, well that's exactly what happened with David. You might not think so, uh, but if you don't think so, it's probably because you're not thinking. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about your neighbor, though, okay? (laughs) Sin is highly irrational. Highly irrational. I want want you to think about it. Did it really make sense for Satan to think that he could rebel against the almighty God? Did that really make sense for a created being 
to think he could war with the creator. I mean, did Adam and Eve really, really think that, you know what, I'm going to gain more by disobeying a God that loves me? But somehow, in our thinking, we, we, how many of you have worried all night, but still nothing changed? <laughs> but then you still did it the next night. We're all just a little bit local, just a little bit crazy. But, but here's the gospel message to each of us. Just because we're born crazy, we don't have to stay crazy all our lives. God can fix it. So, so David went through some temporary insanity. And we'll all every now and then just, get, just do dumb stuff. We're like, what was I again thinking? And then he comes back to his senses, and he goes to the only one who, who cares. He didn't run from him. He he went to him. He said, have mercy on me, oh God. I told my boys uh, growing up, I said, guys, don't ever let me hear it from a teacher or for a friend, and certainly not to Popo. <laughs> guys, every dumb thing you think of doing, believe me, I probably already thought of it or might have even done it myself. So come to me for help. So David messed up in a big way. But I want you to notice his, the way he entreats God. He's a man after God's own heart, and he understands the heart and the mind of God. And if you want to know how to put things back together after you sin, this is one of the key verses in the Bible to look. He said, have mercy upon me, O God, according to what? Your, not because I earn it, not because I merit it, not because I deserve it, but why? Because of your, because of you. I don't get forgiven because I deserve forgiveness. I get forgiven because God is forgiving. It's because of him that I have hope or help in this life. Have mercy on me, O oh God, according to your loving kindness. You see, when your children mess up, it's not just about what they did. It's also about who you are. No, nothing takes your measure as much as someone else's faults. And again, God's willingness to forgive us says more about him than us. So when you go before God, if you say my sin is too big, you just shrunk God way down. The reality is, there's no sin too big for our God. He said, according to the multitude of your tender what? Mercies. I want you to notice something else. David did not try to minimize his sin, try to shrink his sin. What he did again was maximize God's mercy. No sin is greater than the Father's grace. Then he goes on and says, blot out my what? transgressions. Now, we don't really use this language uh, anymore, but transgression literally means to uh, 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 cross a line or to trespass, if you will. But here's what's happening today in, in, our, in our culture as well as in the church. 
instead of seeking mercy for us crossing the line, most are trying to erase the lines and they dare anyone to object. But here's the deal. You might try to intimidate me, but you will not intimidate God. We will all one day give an account to our maker. Number two, verse two. He said, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I want you to notice the words he used. Blot out, wash me, cleanse me. You see, as dirty as David's sins were, he knew God's power to cleanse was far greater. This is important, verse 3. For I'm not pretending, I'm not lying about it, I'm not hiding it, I'm not trying to diminish it, I'm not trying to lessen it, I'm not trying to rationalize it. Listen, for I acknowledge, this is where it begins, I acknowledge that I crossed the line. I acknowledge my transgressions. You cannot learn from your mistakes until you recognize them. And, and I, you know, I don't think I'm any different than anyone else in this room, but sometimes sorry can be the hardest word. You know, I, I've heard it said that one of the best ways to measure humility is how quick you can say you're sorry. So I don't care how humble a house you live in, how humble a car you drive. If you can't say you're sorry, you're not a humble person. And then in this next verse, I can kind of sympathize with David. I understand exactly where he was. He got stuck in his head. And he said this. He said, God, my sin is always before me. I, I can't shake it. Like, 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 like a fish in a net. The harder I try to, to get free, try to get it out of my mind, the more powerful the guilt and the condemnation is that comes on me. And the only way, God, I could ever get out of this He said, look up. So I look to you. I want you to understand, David, when dealing with this sin, there was no explanation. It was like, it wasn't, you know, Bathsheba shouldn't have been bathing outside my window anyway. And by the way, she shouldn't have been. People, though, David was out on his roof, but people lived on their roofs. When when it got hot in the house, they came out on the roof. And and I've used this this illustration before, but I lived around the corner from from Jesse Jackson when he was uh, uh, running for, for, for office. And uh, he, he had a home in, in Washington. Actually, he was trying to be a shadow senator. And um, everyone knew where Reverend Jackson's house was. I mean, when you walked past the house, you were looking to see if you could see him and spot him in the window or, or if you looked through his fence. Everyone knew where David's house was. Everyone knew that when it got hot, David went on the roof. But Bathsheba, who could have did that bathing inside decided that she was going to be bold and beautiful. And, you know, she, she started, you know, come on. I may have been born at night, but not last night. So he wasn't trying to excuse it, explain it. He admitted it. And then he said, Lord, I'm stuck. What I've done is so grievous, I, I, I just can't get it out of my mind. And then he goes on to say, said, against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Now, he knew that he harmed Uriah. He harmed Bathsheba. He even wounded his own 
conscience. But above all, he recognized that he harmed his covenant. He broke it with God. This is important. Pay attention here. The act may be private. It may even be consensual. But the breaking of any law is foremost against the lawgiver. Stay with me on that. Even in our law system, have you noticed that when we go to court, it's the state against such, such, and so? The prosecutor represents the state. Why? Because the state made the laws. So when we break the law, we engage the state. So when we break the law, we think, well, it's just, you know, it's just us. By virtue of the fact that we broke a law with God who sees everything, we have just engaged the lawgiver. There is no private. There is no personal. There is, you know, it's not hurting nobody's sin. The reality is every misconduct is not just against your neighbor. It's first and foremost against God. Did I lose you? All right. And then he goes on. It does get a little deep. He said, listen, God, it's against you. And then instead of defending himself, he defends God's integrity. Basically, God, whatever you got coming at me, Lord, I deserve it. I'm not complaining about it. I'm not mad at you over it. But whatever it takes, please fix me. He said that you may be found just. The problem's not you, God. It's not your law. It's me. That you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Lord, when you deal with me, I won't even complain. Because, God, I I have a problem. And in verse 5, he begins to explain his problem. And his problem is exactly like your and my problem. He said, behold, look at this, Lord. I was brought forth or born in iniquity. He was saying, God, you know better than anyone else. I was screwed up from day one. He was saying, God, just like I inherited the color of my eyes, the color of my skin, maybe my my height, my DNA, I inherited from my great-great-grandparents, Adam and Eve, this persistent bent to just do dumb stuff. And God, no matter what, I, I can't shake there's just something in me that bends towards dumb. Like I said, it's going to go over some people's head, but, but most of you <laughs> can understand. And he goes on. He said, and in my mother's womb, or in sin, I'm sorry, my mother conceived me. Now, later, the the rabbis would say, you know, hundreds of years later after David wrote this, that this was referring to the fact that David was born out of wedlock. I I don't know if that was the case, but, but what I do know is that the context of this psalm is not David's mother. It's David's personal tendencies. And he's saying, God, I, I have a problem. In, in sin, my mother has conceived me. A literal rendering of this verse is, I was sinful from conception. Now, here's the deal. How do you know a baby can't do good or bad inside a womb? 
There's nobody to hate, get mad at, curse. You, you, not even thinking a whole lot yet. At least not consciously. So if a baby could be sinful from conception, the Bible is teaching that sin is not just a result of things we do. It's somehow part of our inborn nature. And by the way, this is why Jesus said we must be born again. If it was right the first time, Jesus wouldn't have had to come to the earth to correct it. So he said, listen, right now, all of y'all are in Adam and in Eve. And, and, and I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. But if you would switch and get into me, your results could be very, very different. Let, let, let's, keep, let, let's keep going. He said, and sin my what? Mother conceived me. Now, a lot of people, when they hear this type of teaching, they think that I'm saying that all people are horrible. Not exactly. This does not mean that all people are as bad as they can be. Only a few of our deacons fall into that category. (laughs) But conscience, family, civil government, they all help to restrain us. And you might say, well, that's not the case with me. You know, I'm I'm just really, really wonderful. Well, Well, be honest for a second. If there was no law against sneaking up on your boss in a dark parking lot and you knew you would not be arrested, no one bring any charge, how many of you might just think about it? Thank you. Thank you. I got five honest people. You see, laws constrain us and keep us from doing what we might otherwise do. Ephesians 2 and 1, and we're going to skip a little bit, and we're going to dig in. You're staying with me pretty good, though. Very good. Paul said it best here. He's describing our state before we came to the Lord. And you who were, past tense, meaning you're not this way anymore, dead in trespasses and sins. He was saying all of us, no matter who you are, how much better than you are than the the person next to you, all of us were separated and alienated from God. We did not become sinners because we sinned. This is important. We sin because we are sinners. Okay, you're not sure? The first ever wasn't sure either. I want you to think about it. If we're all born good, like a lot of folk try to convey today, why is sin so pervasive in every culture, amongst every race, every creed, every nationality? I mean, if we're all born good, why why is it that we don't have to teach a child a lie? Why is it we don't have to teach a child to be selfish? I mean, if we were all born good, wouldn't people every now and then, maybe at least a few, beat the odds and somehow remain sinless? But every culture, every creed, every religion recognizes that all people miss the mark. Why? Because it's undeniable. 
And if we were all born good, somebody in some group of people somewhere would escape it. But nobody does. Skip to verse 3. Among whom also we also conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh. This is where it gets exciting, where everyone shouts, hallelujah. I'm just pulling your leg. Okay. And what he's talking about is that period in our life where all the decisions we made were based on what we could touch, taste, smell, and hear. And we're kind of more like the animal kingdom. And if the, the herd wasn't doing it, we weren't doing it. And, you know, that, that whole thing. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. So we didn't just think it, we did it. Okay, how many of you? Okay. Mm-hmm. This has been Live Big with Dr. Derek Greer, the radio broadcast ministry of Grace Church in Dumfries, Virginia. It is our sincere prayer that you are blessed and empowered to live big. Listen to this message and much more from Dr. Greer for free at gracechurchva.org. We invite you to join Dr. Greer and the Grace Church family here in Dumfries, Virginia, not far from Quantico Marine Base. We would love to meet you and have you join us for worship, teaching, and fellowship every Sunday and Wednesday. Get directions, service times, and much more at gracechurchva.org. That's our time for today. Join us weekdays at this time for the teaching ministry of Dr. Derek Greer. And remember, until next time, live big. Get ready for the 2020 Bible Challenge. It's not like any Bible challenge we have done before. Our goal is to help you dig in and grab a hold of the foundational truths of our faith. So we have broken the year up into sections according to topic. From salvation and stewardship to forgiveness, baptism, and more. We will dive into the scriptures that cover more than 25 subjects. Visit gracebiblechallenge.com. That's gracebiblechallenge.com to sign up and join the 2020 Bible Challenge. Go beyond just reading. Strengthen your knowledge and deepen your understanding of God's Word with in-depth studies on what the Bible says about these essential spiritual truths. To sign up and join the 2020 Bible Challenge, go to gracebiblechallenge.com today. That's gracebiblechallenge.com. And get ready to grow in God's Word.